1: Norm, my good sir, welcome to HXP.
0: Well, thank you.
1: So uh, Norm, you have quite an interesting story. Can you just kind of tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from? You were born in South Africa, isn't that right?
0: Born and raised. And I came to the United States when I was 26 years old. I had done my MD in Johannesburg. And I moved to New York City to do my psychiatry residency at Columbia which I did and I always wanted to understand the workings of the human mind so that led me to the National Institute of Mental Health in Bethesda Maryland where I did a fellowship studied how to become a researcher and I was there for 20 years and during my 20 years I would say my biggest contribution was identifying and describing and naming a condition called seasonal affective disorder. The recognition that some people suffer when there's not enough light around and that that can be treated actually with light therapy. So that was really the work that I innovated there in Bethesda, Maryland. So that's, that's groundbreaking
1: then. I mean, you, you kind of defined this disorder
0: well yeah i think my the height my crowning achievement was when i became a jeopardy question um, Oh, so you know they said you know what condition you know they said something about what do people they they say people suffer from this condition in the in the winter that was described by Norman Rosenthal, and then they said, "What is seasonal affective disorder?" So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put that on my bucket list to be that's, a Jeopardy question.
0: That's my crowning. But anyway, yes, that was that was a very um, fun time of my life. Then I ran my own clinical trials organization, so I sort of understand about research and research design. It involved a lot of medicines, but it also involved uh, alternative treatments and complementary treatments. It's always been a kind of special interest of mine. You know, light therapy was an out-of-the-box complementary treatment, and it's always been interesting to me to see how much can we do without medications. Mm -hmm. And I've had a practice now in Maryland for 37 years, and uh, then I became fascinated by transcendental meditation. That's the last eight years. I've meditated myself. I've done research on veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq with post-traumatic stress disorder with the TM, which is the short way of saying transcendental meditation. And uh, then, of course, I've written two books on that subject, the most recent one of which is the one we are excited to be discussing, which is Supermind.
1: It's a fantastic read, actually. You've been covered by all these major stations for this book, ABC, Oprah, Fox News, Wall Street Journal, PBS, NBC. Why would you say TM is so much different than other forms of meditation?
0: Well, I think it's it's a little bit like exercise. You know, if somebody says, well, I'm exercising, that person could be running, they could be swimming, they could be cycling, uh, they could be climbing a mountain. Um, Exercise sounds like a common thing, but each kind of exercise is very different. And that's a similar thing with meditation. You know, we started off with a visualization. That's one kind of meditation. But TM is a very different kind of meditation, which involves uh, learning from somebody who is a qualified teacher how to take a mantra that they give you. And a mantra is just a word sound. But to use it in a very special way, that becomes quite effortless and automatic. So it's not a question of focusing. It's not a question of being mindful. It's a question of just letting this thing very automatically occupy your mind in such a way that you go into a different state of consciousness.
1: What do you What do you mean by that? So you mean, you mean that I just kind of let whatever happen,
0: happen? Well, to some extent, yes, but there is this use of the mantra. So in other words, I could say, close your mind, uh, close your eyes and let whatever happens, happen in your mind. That would not be TM. Somehow the use of the mantra is very central to how the TM works. And one thing we know is that when you're doing it right, it shifts you into a state of transcendence is the word you would use to describe it. What that is, is you're very relaxed, but your mind is very alert. And uh, then you feel a disappearance of boundaries, you know, where my body begins and ends, what day and time of day it is. Uh, these things become sort of irrelevant as you slip into this blissful unbounded state of consciousness is what it's been called and when you've been there you realize that that is in fact not an exaggeration that's an actual accurate description
1: yeah it's fascinating i you know i've i spend a lot of time meditating i try I do my best to meditate every day i i don't have any specific practice i just am in the moment, as it were. And, um, I mean, I, but I, but I find this interesting about the mantra. Can you tell us more about, is there a specific mantra that you would use during your practice?
0: You know, people are given different mantras. They basically are word sounds that don't have a meaning to the Westerner who is learning maybe they once upon a time did have a meaning but they don't currently and it's not only what the mantra is but how people are taught to use it this effortless accessing this automatic accessing of the mantra um and you know, if if you're somebody who really loves meditation and loves to understand the different kinds, you may want to just try it. I mean, you may want to just consult uh, with the TM teacher and see if it if it offers anything to you that maybe isn't happening already. But maybe you're already more than delighted with what you're doing, and more than your day is more than occupied already. But well,
1: I'm speaking the- to one of the foremost experts on transcendental meditation, so I mean, you should tell me. I, I I'd like to know. I mean, how? Okay, so let's let's back up a little bit. What what would you say is happening inside the brain as far, as far as brain waves, um, alpha, beta? data. Where, where are we in, in our brain while we're using TM?
0: Well, uh, that's a great question. What, what is happening is that a special kind of brain wave, uh, alpha waves, begin to sweep across the brain, especially the frontal areas of the brain. These are soothing, self-reflective waves, and the frontal part of the brain is the part that has uh, the decision-making function, uh, the executive function for the mind. So, all your decision-making areas are being bathed in these soothing alpha waves. In addition, there's something called coherence. And with coherence, what that really means is that um, different regions of the brain are uh, operating at the same wavelength. And that means that when that happens in people, there is an uh, association with increased competency. So it may be that your brain is being put at its most efficient, you see? Hmm. That's another possibility.
1: Interesting. And, And I found what you said a little bit earlier interesting as well. It doesn't have to be necessarily that I'm sitting down somewhere. I can be exercising, I can be climbing a mountain while I'm practicing TM. Is that correct?
0: No, let me straighten that out. That was just to give you an analogy between different kinds of exercise and different kinds of meditation. When you do TM, you definitely are encouraged to sit in a comfortable place, uh, close your eyes, and then they encourage you to get to a calm place in your head and then begin to think your mantra. And they say you should do it effortlessly and innocently. Now, what do I mean by innocently? By innocently, I mean with no expectation as to what this experience is going to be. So, you know, no expectation as to how this experience will be that is what they mean by innocently. And uh, effortlessly, of course, is uh, sort of self-explanatory.
1: Yeah, and uh, how would you say that this affects the building blocks of, of making our brains better? Would you say that this heightens creativity, heightens intelligence, heightens uh, sensory perception?
0: I would say all of the above. And I think the key is really to start by thinking about consciousness. You know the description I gave you of transcendental consciousness. That is what happens once you have just done a little bit of practice of the TM. That's what happens in the session itself. Then what happens is once you meditate regularly, they encourage you to do it twice a day that feeling of calmness, stillness uh, in the the, uh, side-by-side with activity and vibrancy, that extends into your daily life. So in one's daily life, one is simultaneously alert, awake, vibrant, and still and peaceful at the same time. It's a fascinating combination, you know, and when you are like that, You are more creative. You are more effective. You understand people better. You listen to others better. Everything seems to become better. So that's why when I try to assess what do I call this state of mind that develops when you do your TM over time, what am I going to call this? The word supermind came to me because that's really what it is. It's the mind in its full flowering in its maximum um, capacity and joyfulness. And uh, that's what I describe, and I describe it uh, not only through, you know, the kind of scientific explanations we've been looking at, and I did a survey of more than 600 people, but also in the terms of vivid stories about people who have actually you know undertaken this journey and how well it's turned out for them and these some of these people are people you would never never know they're you know anonymous people or you know people who are just not well known and some are household names mm-hmm. so
1: yeah i mean it's it's funny i was just about to ask you why you called it supermind uh, but um you know i i want to know there's you know there's a there's a sense of progression when you're meditating, right when when you first start meditating, maybe perhaps you don't really feel anything. and as as you progress, you you start to move forward further and further. and then, as you said, you reach this state of transcendence can you can you describe this state of of transcendence some more, please?
0: Yes. Well, you know, um, back to when you're meditating itself, and I I think I did mention it, but let me just repeat it because it's so important. It's a state, you know, normally when you're alert, you're not calm. And when you're calm, you're not alert. But here you are those two things together. You're alert and calm at the same time. And... um, but the big deal with a supermind is that when you practice this for a while, it moves into your everyday life. So you have this benefit going through the whole day and it's very, very delightful and very, very constructive. That's what I've called the supermind, when your transcendent consciousness filters into your daily life.
1: And how, I mean, how would you say that, I mean, as a practitioner of, of TM, how would you say that it's affected your everyday life?
0: Oh, well, firstly, other people notice it tremendously. Um, it's made me more creative. The creativity is, just doesn't stop. Um, I'm thinking of new angles at every turn and, um, you know, very effective, um, but also very capable of settling down and relaxing, capable of sleeping, capable of enjoying myself when I'm with people like, you know, people I care about or just anybody, really. I, I love people and it's kind of just strengthened my connections with people and my connections with the natural world. You know, if I'm, things can seem, very vivid. I mean, I'll give you really a silly example. The other day, my bathroom is tiled with some rather old tiles. It's like an old design that if you went into a bathroom store now and you wanted to get a new bathroom, they'd say, oh, you're not going to use those. They're so 1970s or something, you know. You've got to use this kind of tile or whatever. But all of a sudden, the tiles they looked so interesting and so uh, intricate and fascinating. And somebody said to me yesterday, everything old is new again. And that's how it felt, you know. It felt beautiful. Whoever laid those tiles, they were very clever. They were very intricate. So, you know, the the way in which I think a lot of people live is that things soon get Boring. You know, this car, it's two years old, I have to turn it in for a new model. Uh, or this, I have to change all the furniture in my house. So all these paintings, they're so boring, I need to get a whole new set of art. It's, it's a sense of getting jaded with the world and getting bored and having to get something new. And I would say at the sensory level... The world just becomes more intricate, more intriguing, and more rich and beautiful. And even ordinary things take on a quality of being rather special. And uh, ideas flow, and you're very effective. And so you become more productive, you become more effective, you become more creative. But at the same time, you're just having fun. I'm having fun talking to you right now. Even though I can't see you because my Skype is is locked.
1: <laughs> I mean, okay, so you know, let's 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 go a little broader here, a little broader scope here, and and talk about how meditation is affecting the West. I mean, why do you think people are? attaching to or moving towards meditation as a practice here in the West?
0: Well, I think that people are beginning to discover how much it can accomplish. You know, I think that for a long time cultures were separate and then we now have this cultural mix, you know, Chinese restaurants have been around for a while, but then we got, uh, Thai restaurants, and we got Korean restaurants, and then we got Asian fusion, where the fusion between the West and the East, you can see in the food. Well, I think we're having this fusion of cultures in our regular life, in the life of our minds. We're understanding that there's a lot of wisdom that's been uh, developed in other countries and in other cultures for thousands of years. And now that we've been able to break down barriers, we say, wow, let's, let's enjoy this. Let's access this. Let's use it. And they're doing the same with the Western ideas.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really amazing how, how pre- prevalent meditation has become. Would you say that TM is, is easier to learn than other forms of meditation?
0: Well, it's certainly easier for me. I can't speak to somebody else, but I really tried mindfulness. I tried to focus. People told me, concentrate on this, concentrate on that. And firstly, I'm not a very good concentrator. And secondly, I'm not good when people tell me what to do. Do you know what I mean? I'm much better if I'm left to my own devices. And that's more or less what happens with a mantra, because once you've been taught And and I want to make it really clear. The book is not a how-to book. If you get Supermind, you will not come out knowing how to do TM. So then somebody has said to me maybe, well, why should I even get the book then if I'm not going to learn how to do TM from the book? And I say, you know, it's not a how-to book. It's a why-to book because TM takes 20 minutes twice a day if you want to get the full benefit from that and our most valuable asset is our time it's finite it's precious and before we're going to spend 40 minutes a day doing something we'd better have a jolly good sense of what that thing is going to do for us so that's why it's an explanation for why this investment of time and money is warranted
1: you're a segway artist you you seem to have all of my questions there with you. How did you go from being the first psychiatrist to diagnose seasonal affective affective disorder to being a person who writes a book called Supermind?
0: Okay, I I think that's a terrific question. And I would say that there are two things about me that have been the key to whatever it is that I've done. And the first is the... Capacity to look at the world in a fresh way. Um, in the Buddhist tradition, they call that the beginner's mind. I look at things as though I'm seeing them for the first time. So I, look at, I looked at the, the uh, dark days and I saw how they affected me after I came from South Africa, where I had had so much sunlight and I came to New York and I saw the New York winters and I felt down and, and then spring came and I felt better again. And I thought, wow, this is, this is wild. I never had this before. And it happened after a couple of years. And then I got to the NIH and they were studying light and bing, 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 the pieces all fell into place. Let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's, let's bring some of these people in. I I called around, I asked local doctors, where are these people? Have you seen them? No, no, nobody's seen any people like this. So I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, if you don't know what to look for, and if you're not open, your eyes aren't open, you're not going to see anything. So I thought, let me go to the media. So we ran an article, wonderful journalist ran an article in the Washington Post And I thought, you know, it's a big area, the DC metro area, maybe I'll get a half a dozen of these curious people who get trouble in the winter. Well, we got thousands of people. And that became the first group of seasonal affective disorder people. And then uh, I brought them in in the summer. They came into our ward on the inpatient service and we watched them as the autumn proceeded. I mean, they didn't stay in the ward all the time. We brought them in for a week, did some tests sent them home, watched them every couple of weeks. And one of my colleagues said, what if they don't get depressed in the winter? Won't you feel like a fool? And I thought, you know, being feeling like a fool, it's not the worst thing that can happen to anybody. This is a good shot. This is a good bet. Let's give it a shot. So what if I feel like, if I look like a fool? So anyway, they did. They all got depressed just on schedule. So it was It was two things. It was being willing to look at the world in a new way, keeping an open mind is our Western way of saying it, or the beginner's mind would be the Japanese way of saying it. And so that's the first thing. And the second is the willingness to be amazed, to say, wow, this is incredible. I am so fascinated by it. I've got to Understand it better. I've got to research it. I've got to write about it. I've got to tell everybody about it, and that then those were the same principles that came into play with transcendental meditation.
1: I, you know, I'm fascinated by by this idea. You know, I'd, I've I've heard about TM uh, through throughout my life, and I I can't say I've ever sat down and and tried it so i mean what you're telling me is that it's not you're not contemplating on anything so you're not thinking about a specific any specific thing but you're not you're not completely empty-minded either
0: that's right yeah the mind resists any instruction to be emptied you know it's like they say don't think of the color red.
1: Right, and then the first then it thing becomes you, yeah. the
0: only thing you can think of. Yeah. So when I say clear your mind, your mind becomes full of the instruction to be cleared. I, I see, I see uh, a rag over my mind with Windex on it, sort of clearing my mind. You know, uh, you can't clear the mind, but if you think the mantra, automatically it takes you to a different place in the mind. It's been said, you know, that the mind is like an ocean with huge waves on the top. And if you're on the top of the ocean, you'll think it's so turbulent, full of waves. But if you go down a mile into the ocean or a half a mile into the ocean, you'll be in the calmest, most peaceful place. That's what the mind is when you dive down as you do your TM you go into this very very peaceful silent place and whatever's going on on the surface of the ocean is no concern of yours is it
1: a part of this sort of self actualization that happens within yourself are you starting are you beginning to kind of realize uh, who you are what you are or is it more of a detached state where you're you're kind of above it and you you see yourself for what you are
0: You know, that's a really great question. And in one of the chapters in Supermind, I talk about engagement and detachment, a delicate dance. And, you know, when I studied psychiatry, I learned what Freud said about what the purpose of life is, to love and to work. That's what we had to do. We had to know how to engage with people and build relationships. And then we had to know how to do our work And be very engaged in our work. And that was all good things to do. And it still is. Those are very, very important things. But what if a relationship isn't working? What about withdrawing if a relationship isn't working or or disconnecting from a relationship? Or if a job isn't serving you? finding something else that will work better for you. You know, as Kenny Rogers said, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them, <laughs> you know, when to, when to get engaged and when to disengage. And so it's a balance. So I think that when I did my, uh, not, I know when I did the questionnaire, I asked people, since you started doing TM, have you become more engaged? They said yes. Yeah, a huge percentage said Yes. And I said, have you become less overly attached to things? And again, they said, yes, they were more engaged, but they were less overly attached. You know, when we get overly attached to something and we won't let it go, that's also not good. So it's kind of this balance. In the Buddhist tradition, they say, they'd say and they, they they use the description of how you hold the reins of a horse. Not too tight, not too loose. So then that's
1: what brings us back to the word transcendence. You are transcending this sort of material realm.
0: Well I think I think yes. I think that you know I'm very engaged with my material realm. I I, I you know I work out, I work out with free rate free weights this morning. I did Pilates yesterday. You know, there's wonderful things to do with the material world. I can go out with friends and have a meal, and it's very joyful. So it's not like I'm some kind of uh, ascetic monk. But at the same time, uh, I try not to get over-involved if it's in something. If If something doesn't work out my way, I did my best, and it doesn't quite come out the way I want, you know, I have to accept, you know, the... The Bhagavad Gita says you have control over action alone, never the fruits. So you can only control what you can do. You can't control the outcome because many times that relies on other variables that are outside of your control. So I would say, yes, I feel more self-actualized. I feel more engaged and I feel less over-attached.
1: How would you say this affects your focus, your concentration, the things that, you know, would you say that you are more focused, uh, you have a better concentration, you are better at, in your everyday, I mean, through meditation, I mean, and to alter my question a little bit, th- there are different types of meditation, right? So right. there there are, there is, you know, f- there is mindfulness, how would you rate TM versus other meditations? Is there a scale of meditation? Or is it just a kind of variable, like what suits one person better to another person better?
0: Well, I think, I think that there are definite differences that can be enumerated, you know, the task that you're asking the meditator to do. In one case, you're asking the person to focus, usually on something that's going on here and now. In the other case, you're asking them to automatically access a mantra. So in the first case, what you gain is the exquisite moment-to-moment understanding of the present, of the now. In the other case, you're moving into a different state of consciousness that is going to reward you in, in a variety of ways. And in one instance, you're getting a sense of life as it really is with its moment-to-moment changes. In the other case, you're getting uh, a shift in consciousness that pervades your daily life and infuses your actions and your perceptions. So, they're two very different journeys. And I've got, in my book, I've got a chapter on contrasts between these two different types of meditation. But I've also featured a couple of people who do both kinds and say, I got different things from my two different kinds of meditation, and uh, I can even, it's quite short, I can even see if I can read one description, it's just about two paragraphs, shall sure, I read Sure, yes, please. Entertainment marketing consultant Chuck Bliziotis writes, I practice both TM and mindfulness meditation, they each serve unique purposes. I begin and end each day with TM. With it, I'm able to still my mind, de-stress and start the day open and relaxed. My profession is entertainment marketing. A remarkable aspect of TM is that some of my best ideas come right after practice while sitting quiet and calm, allowing my mind to drift. It is in this drift that I'm able to see the connectivity of what I'm working on and possible solutions or outcomes. It's still exciting each time it happens. I end each day with TM practice. It helps to let the day wash out, letting go, drifting off to a deeper sleep and a more rested morning. I believe that TM is directly responsible for sharpening my mind and intellectual memory, recall and creativity. It is part of my foundation. Okay, so that's the first paragraph that describes TM. Let me just summarize. You're seeing de-stress. You're seeing shifts in consciousness, a drifting off. You're seeing increased creativity. You're seeing a growth of the mind, the super mind. You know, it's in this drift. I'm able to see the connectivity. Um, my, my best ideas come right after practice. Um, so, I mean, you so- would
1: say you would say that there is a dramatic shift in a person's character, who they are after after using this type of medication. meditation yes,
0: definitely. Yes. I mean, you've got to do it for a while, but, but it certainly happened to me. That's why I wrote the book. I mean, writing a book is a lot of work. You don't do it frivolously. You only do it if you're convinced that this is a, a process worth explaining and worth communicating. Okay. So let me go on to his second paragraph, which is about mindfulness. He says, mindfulness works to facilitate clarity, focus, compassion, and truth. As humans, we have the tendency to create narratives, I more than most. And mindfulness allows me to examine clearly exactly what is going on, what is being said, and notice my reaction to it. All done by breathing slowly, rhythmically, and being aware of what is happening inside. This practice allows me to take a step back, listen to what is being said, and respond with compassion that goes to the heart of the issue at hand. It is difficult at times not to get caught up in the heat of the moment, as well as to face what we truly fear. Mindfulness takes courage to look at the world as it is. So there you see a very, very different practice, a very different outcome. He does both, so he finds both useful. Uh, The one that supermind concerns is TM because that's the one that grows the mind in the way that I have described in the book
1: so norm I mean what let's get into the origins of transcendental meditation mm-hmm. where where I mean it, the Vedas came up with this right so it's a Vedic yes, tradition
0: yes it's it's 3,000 years old it was developed in the Himalayas uh, it's the Vedic tradition that is uh, before Buddhism and Hinduism split off. That is the Vedic tradition, and um, they've been doing it for thousands of years. And then, somewhere in the 1950s, um, a monk who had studied under his master, named Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, the monk decided to take this wisdom and training and take it to the rest of the world from the Himalayas. So he. Uh, began to understand how did the Western world work and and he packaged this meditation into a way of um, fitting it into a busy Western day. Then he figured 20 minutes twice a day should be manageable and he distilled it down to that duration and indeed it seems to be a very successful formula.
1: You know, at the beginning of this conversation, we t- you mentioned that as a psychiatrist, you looked at methods that avoided using medication to treat you know, symptoms, illnesses, mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Would you say that you would recommend TM to your patients?
0: Oh, I have. Uh, probably 20 to 25% of my practice meditates regularly.
1: And what would you say is is the difference in, you know, these conditions after the meditation occurs? Well,
0: let's take anxiety disorders. Um, Some of them I've been able to lower the medications. Uh, People have loved it. I I think of one young man, um, very smart young guy with anxiety problems. Um, He introduced it to his wife, who's a very, very busy professional, and she... Uh, meditates now, he does, she does, his father in another city does, because they've found it to be so valuable. So it's just a way of spreading it. But you know, here's one reason why I write books. Because if I'm with one patient, I'm teaching people one at a time, the things that I've learned that are going to help them. But when I'm on uh, a podcast like this one, um, then hopefully, I can get this message out to lots of people and I can scale up the impact that I have uh, on doing good in the world, which is what I believe I'm here to do. So um, thank you for helping me to do that. And that also explains why I write books and why I love being on shows such as yours.
1: Oh yeah, you're quite welcome. And I mean, today is your birthday, so it's it's kind of a special day to be doing a show like this. Happy birthday! Um, well, thank
0: you, thank you. Yes,
1: I mean, Norm, where can where can people find your website, your work, and pick up a copy of this book?
0: Oh sure, yes. My website is Norman Rosenthal. That's just my first and last name, Norman Rosenthal. dot com. And, of course, on my website, it's got uh, all my social media. But just for the record, uh, Dr. Norman Rosenthal is my Facebook page. That's D-R for Dr. Norman Rosenthal. And then my Twitter is Dr. Now, that just to make it complicated, that's D-O-C-T-O-R, Norman. Of course, all of this is... Is uh, defined by what was available at the time when you applied for your Facebook or Twitter. <laughs> and uh, so, I we'll make sure hello. it's
1: available to everyone who finds the show. We'll make sure that your Twitter and Facebook are are linked awesome. in the show Thanks. episode. So
0: but come uh, visit me on my website, my Facebook, my Twitter. I love engaging with people, and uh, I'm I'm really so grateful to be on your show on my birthday.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for doing that and uh, a big happy, how, how old are you, sir?
0: Well, I'm 66 and uh, before I forget, I should just tell people the name of the book once again, it's Supermind, How to Boost Performance and Live a Richer and Happier Life Through Transcendental Meditation. I'm 66 and uh, the, the dominant feeling of the day is gratitude and I'm just so grateful um, to be alive one more year and well and happy and just uh, have wonderful people in my life that that i i just feel the luckiest man and that gratitude extends to you for having me on your show and for engaging me in this really wonderful conversation
1: well thank you sir i think that's a perfect note to close on guys this is the human experience my guest is dr norman rosenthal his book is called supermind Thank you guys so much for listening.